You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and a welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tweet Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can. I hope everyone had an amazing Pesach, an amazing Passover, family, friends, just hanging out. It was really very beautiful. But I have a story that is post-Passover, but it's still all about family, how we take care of each other. Um, Thank God everything worked out fine, but let's. uh, I thought it was a great story. So, you know, I live in Detroit, and actually three of my children, their spouses, are from Chicago. So the first days of Passover, my children were all with me. And then these three children headed to Chicago for the last days of the holiday. So, okay, the holiday was uh, Saturday, Sunday, and... No, I'm sorry, it was Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday morning... Um, the children get ready to leave. So two of my children in Chicago will be heading towards New Jersey. And actually, my daughter was by me for the last days, and she's also heading towards New Jersey. Just painting the picture in your mind. Um, For those of you who are not familiar, there's the Route 80. Route 80 takes you basically from the George Washington Bridge in, in, uh, in Manhattan all the way across the country. It'll just take you all the way. So you want to go to Detroit from New York, you're taking 80. Even New Jersey, you could take 76, but a lot of people will take 80. You're going to Chicago, you're taking 80. Um, And as Milwaukee, you just keep going. 80 just goes straight across the country. Great highway. So my son is traveling back from Chicago. He has a nice big rented car, it was a Ford, um, whatever their biggest SUV is, and he's driving, he's probably a couple hours, oh, he's a good three hours out of Chicago, and the car breaks down on the highway. I think the alternator went, not so important what happened, but he has a van full of luggage, plus his two children and his wife, and here it is, a, a Sunday morning, no one's around. And it goes rental car company. Yeah, we have like a four door. As there's a Toledo airport, we can get you. And uh, but we only got a four door, and there'll be no room for his luggage. So you can imagine anybody who's ever broken down on the side of the road. It's not a comfortable feeling. It's not fun. So he was like sending on our family chat. We're getting some messages. So first I call. I call my daughter who had left my house maybe forty minutes before, and I said, "Okay, where are you?" And she tells me about where she is on what's called the 75. I said, okay, um, instead of the regular 280 that you get off to go east, 
you're going to take 75 further down and you're going to hang a right on Route 80. You're going to go west and uh, you'll, I mean, if you want to, I can't force anyone to do anything. Are you okay? Yeah, of course. For my brother, I would do anything. So she's about to take an hour and a half out of the way trip. Then my son, I didn't know it. Everything depends when you leave. So my other son had probably left Chicago around the same time. So I call him. He doesn't call me back. I call again. Finally, he calls me back. I say, where are you? Yes, where are you? He says, he tells me where he is. I said, you know, uh, your brother broke down. He says, I can't believe it. We saw on the side of the road some big Ford, and we just went by, and we didn't realize it was him. Okay, I'm going to turn around. Now, understand, turning around on oh, what's called Route 80 is not like turning around when you miss a turn. There could be 10, 15 miles between exits, so you're going to have to get off the next exit, swing all the way back, past, and then around. So again, you're talking that when it's supposed to already be a 13 or 14-hour trip to go from Chicago to New Jersey, you've just tacked on a few hours. So my son gets there first, and he, he has room because he has a small SUV, and there's room for all the luggage. Um, they're just, it's the luggage of the kids. So they decide at that point, you take all the luggage and we'll get that car. In the meanwhile, of course, Enterprise had told him, you've, you know, whatever, you follow this link and we're going to send you an Uber. That Uber never came. And I think when they called later, oh yeah, maybe in two hours we'll get an Uber there. So that was going to be a while. Meanwhile, my daughter is heading towards my son and... They made a mistake. They sent her a, a, like a Google Map location. The problem was the Google Map location put her on an overpass directly over where my son was, which is great, except there was no way to get from that overpass down the highway. In other words, they, they said they were in farmland, and they knocked on somebody's door, and they said, oh, you want to get to Route 80? You're going to have to take like 20 minutes down this way, and it was going to be a whole who knows what. Hullabaloo, that's a good word. So they, um, okay, so they're talking on the phone, and my son tries the car again, starts up. So he tells my daughter, okay, um, the car has started. Let me get to the airport. It was about two miles, three miles from the Toledo airport. Let me get to the airport. They have a car for me, uh, but follow me, or at least be going in the same direction so at least we know where each other is. Sure enough, he makes the airport. She goes to the airport, hangs out a little bit. Once everything is settled, she hits the road. So the beauty of the story is, first of all, and I, and, and I told my children afterwards, in other words, my daughter, who came to the rescue, did zero. She didn't do anything. She was there. She didn't even get onto the highway because they gave her the wrong direction. She met him at the airport. Yeah, she went an hour and a half out of the way. But what'd you do for me? I got a rental car. You didn't take my kids. We didn't offload any luggage. What did you do for me? And the answer is, you were my moral support. I was nervous, right? My son was nervous. It's uncomfortable. It's not a good feeling to be alone. But his sister drove an hour and a half out of the way, and her family, an hour and a half out of the way. So just in case you need help, I'm here for you. And that is really the greatest feeling that you can give another person. 
you could get out of the situation. Eventually, things will work their way out. Right? Eh, eventually, going to get to the airport. Eventually, going to get a van. Eventually, going to take care of him. Or a tow truck will come. Eventually, everything will work out fine. But here, the beauty was that you weren't nervous anymore. Right? There's that calm feeling that if something goes wrong, my sister is here. That is truly a beautiful, amazing feeling. And when I told the story over to a friend, the even better feeling is me, the parent, that siblings can show that they care instead of saying, you know, I have a 12-hour trip today in the car with the kids. It's warm outside. The kids are cranky. I'm sure a tow truck will show up. I'm sure the Uber will show up. You don't really need me because otherwise you're tacking on two hours onto my trip and I just can't handle it. And really, it's way out of the way. I'm not even passing you, and I don't even know where I'm going. So that idea, that concept, that concept that I can care for you as a parent, that you see that children can show care and concern for each other is the most beautiful feeling. Because basically, you can sit back and say, all those years of work, all, not me, because I'm not so good at it. My wife is the master. But all those years of making sure that there's, there's peace and harmony and caring and concern amongst children, you can sit back and say, okay, it was all worth it. So it's really a very beautiful after-holiday story, um, which is what we want, right? The family gets together. They sometimes argue, sometimes bicker, sometimes help, sometimes get on each other's nerves. You're all crowded in a house. But we can have everybody, you know, together and feeling for each other. And, hey, you needed help. You would run for me. I'll run for you. It's just a beautiful thing. So anyways, I thought that was really an amazing, wonderful story to share with everybody. And But let's... Let's delve into this week's Torah portion. Very, very fascinating name to this week's Torah portion. This week's Torah portion is called Achare Mos, means after the death. So what's the Torah talking about? That the Torah, Moses is going to tell Aaron, the high priest, the rules and regulations for going into the Holy of Holies, the Kesh HaKadoshim, on Yom Kippur. So it's sort of like a warning. You know, as Aaron's two sons had died on the day that the tabernacle was dedicated, so they died. One of the reasons they died is they went into the Holy of Holies without permission. They didn't have all the right sacrifices. It wasn't the right time. They weren't the right people. There were all kinds of things they did wrong, and they died. So Moses starts out telling Aaron. He says, hey, like a doctor, right? If you don't take this medicine... If you don't follow my directions, then you know how that guy died? Same thing's going to happen to you. So this is the warning to Aaron. This is the Torah portion that discusses and describes and explains all the rules and regulations uh, for going to the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur. He's only allowed in four times. And he has to follow a certain set of directions, which if we have time, we'll go through. Um, Otherwise, you can't go in. And so the name of the Torah portion is after the death. So if Simcha Sheps asks a very interesting question, you know, this is not the only Torah portion we have where people die. 
There are other Torah portions. The Sarah, right? Abraham's wife, she dies. And you know what the name of that Torah portion is? Chaye Sarah. The life of Sarah. So, right there, hello. Somebody dies. It, the name of the Torah portion is not the death of Sarah. The name of the Torah portion is uh, the life of Sarah. You have the Torah portion where Moses dies. Um, that doesn't even mention anything about death or living. That's Vizos Habracha. This is the blessing. You have the Torah portion where Jacob, where Yaakov dies. You know what that, part, that Torah portion is called? Vayichi, and he lived. So all the Torah portions where we have important, famous people dying, and the Torah could have said something about death. Instead, it talks about life and living, except this one. This one, when we talk about Nadav and Aviyu, Aaron's two sons dying, all of a sudden we say after the death. So how come here, how come in this Torah portion specifically we mention death, and really there is no other Torah portion that mentions this name? It's a very beautiful, important answer. Maybe uh, our story at the beginning helped out a little bit. Maybe it was a good lead-in. You can decide. All the other Torah portions, Sarah dies, Jacob dies, Moses dies. In all those cases, there is a continuation. They have children. They have grandchildren. Their family will continue to flourish. Jacob has the 12 tribes, right? Sarah has Isaac. Moses has brought the Jewish people right up to the land of Israel. There's a continuation, as death is not the end. Their dying is not the end of the story because their life will continue through their children. What they've taught, their good deeds, their actions, everything will continue through their children. Except this week's Torah portion. Because Nadav and Avihu, these two sons of Aaron, Nadav and Avihu never got married. We, I believe we talked about it in the past. Um, again, it was debatable amongst the rabbis, the Talmud talks about it, why did Nadav and Avihu deserve to die? One of the answers is, they never got married. Why didn't they get married? Lots of people wanted to marry them. These are the greatest rabbis after Moses and Aaron. Because they felt they were so great, there was just nobody out there that was fit to marry them. There was just nobody there. So they never got married. <laughs> so now it happens, it's after the death. There's nothing to continue, you want to use the word legacy, there's nothing to continue what they represented. Other people could be like them, that's true. But from they themselves, what they created in themselves had no continuity, nothing to continue. So in other words, what we see from this week's Torah portion, and by the way, from the story I told you at the beginning, right? what we see is that a person should never think that his children are getting in the way of his spiritual growth. Children do not get in the way of our spiritual growth. Children are our spiritual growth. It's an amazing thought. And I'll be honest, I think about it all the time personally. Why? I spend a lot of time studying with my children. A lot of time. I mean, we're talking hours every day. And what I'm studying with them, hey, don't get me wrong, what I'm studying is good for myself. Also, it's good stuff to study. But it's certainly not as deep, not as, not as uh, thoughtful, not as uh, earth-shattering, if you want to say, as if I was studying myself. 
myself and the Talmud and I can delve into it and thinking and the rabbis and the commentaries and the laws and the and holy stuff. I could do all that. Instead, I'm spending all this time learning on a fifth grade level, learning on a seventh grade level, maybe nah, him I don't even have as much time for, my eleventh grader gets a little bit better. So a person could think, you know, I'm giving up so much of my own personal time to study with my children. No, you are not giving up anything of your time. You, this is your spiritual growth, right? Through our children, by having it, uh, the continuation of what everything I believe in, everything I want my children to believe in, so by spending time with them to help them with their studying, that's my spiritual growth. That's what will be left over when I'm gone. And that's what Nazim and Aviyu did not have because they had no children. So nothing is left over. While everybody else, Sarah, Jacob, Moses, they all their Torah portions, no reason to talk about death because there is no death to say we're done because they are not done. They're just, just beginning, just beginning. So that's really amazing. Now, interesting, by the way, once we're talking about children, there's an interesting uh, Talmud Coming up, by the way, in the Dafyomi soon. Um, there was a great Amora, that's people from the time of the Talmud. His name was Rav. And Rav was tormented by his wife. Tormented. In other words, if he asked for like uh, split pea soup, she made him bean soup. He asked for bean soup, she made him split pea soup. And it was whatever he asked for, he got the opposite. And he, for whatever reason, he put up with it. Rav's son saw this going on probably for years, and he figured he'll take matters into his own hand. He had a great plan. His father, Rav, Rav would tell his son, Rav Chia, tell your mother I want beans for supper. Rav went to his mother, says, Dad wants split peas. And she says, oh, he wants split peas. I'll make him beans. The next night, the opposite took place. Rav said, I want split peas. Rav Chia told his mother he wants beans. Rav got split peas. So after this is going on for a couple days, so uh, Rav says to Rebchia, he says, hey, you notice uh, things are improving over here. Your mother's actually doing the things they ask her for. Isn't that amazing? It's like so beautiful. So Rebchia, not one to, uh, to lie, says, I tell you the truth, Dad. Um, I know that whatever you ask for, Mom makes just the opposite. So I've been switching it. In other words, whatever you ask for, I tell her the opposite, knowing that she's going to make you what you really want. Isn't that a great idea? Isn't that, like, amazing? I am, like, so smart. I am so proud of myself. So Rav actually says, no, it's not acceptable. It's true that whatever I ask for, she makes the opposite. And it's true that by you switching it, I'm going to get what I want. It doesn't matter. I got to wonder why Rav himself didn't just ask for the opposite. Okay, that's a... That's a, an interesting question, not one that we're going to be tackling today. But, but Rav said to his son, you can't go ahead and lie every day like this. So the question is, why not? Why, why can't he lie? Happens to be, happens to be, we find in many places, the Torah clearly says that for, the, for peace, for shalom, a person's allowed to lie. For example, one of the more famous examples, 
when the angels came to tell Abraham and Sarah that the next year they would have a child, so it says, Sarah laughed. And she said, my husband's too old. Interesting, ladies, right? She's 90, or 89. Abraham is 99, almost 100. So she blames it on the husband. Okay, that's just an interesting side, side note. But, but Sarah says to herself, my husband's too old. God tells Abraham, why is Sarah laughing and saying that she is too old? Now, that's not what Sarah said or thought. She thought to herself, my husband's too old. When God wanted Abraham to inform Sarah that that's the wrong attitude, God told Abraham the opposite of what happened. Your wife says she's too old. Now, as another conversation, not for today, like people have been married so long, you know, you make little jokes. Your husband said you're too old. Ha ha. Hello, I'm 100 years old, right? What's, what's the big deal? But forgetting about that, like, you see clearly, and the commentaries will say this, that for peace, God lied because he wants to make sure there's peace and harmony in the home. It's worth lying to make sure everybody is happy. Nothing wrong with lying to make peace in a home. A very beautiful thing we call it Shalom Bayis. Is this what Rav was doing? Like, what's the big deal? The Marashah asked this question. So Marashah says, very, very important. The Marashah says, it's okay, this idea to lie for peace, a very, very good idea, on occasion. But once it's going to be something constant, that's no good. In other words, Rav saw in his son that the only way that uh, he would keep uh, peace in the home, he'd have to lie every single day. Every day, whatever his father asked for, he's going to change it, and every day his mother will do the opposite, and that will make Rav happy. So to, to make that shalom, we're going to need Chia, the son of Rav, to lie every single day. Constant lying will create a child who always lies because children become what they're taught to become. So therefore, so therefore, um, it was important for Rav to put a stop to this everyday lying. You know, again, once in a once in a while, no problem, but to do it every day—that is not a healthy. That's not healthy. That is no good for a child. Okay. So now, um, so we are now in the Torah portion. Right? We, we explained that we are in this Torah portion where we have the rules and regulations where the high priest, the Kohen Gadol, can go into the Holy of Holies, into the Kosh HaKadoshim, um, four times on Yom Kippur. And that was interesting, by the way. Um, after he went in, so this is the opportunity for a special prayer. This is the high priest's opportunity. You are in the Holy of Holies. You are in the presence of God this is the time to pray. Very interesting. Um, the the all the Kehanim Gedalim, all the high priests were warned, no long prayer. This is not the time for long prayer. The people are going to be waiting for you, and there were over time, certainly in the Second Temple, there were many priests that died in the Holy of Holies because they did not belong there. They were not holy enough to handle the situation. So they always told the high priest, short prayer, no 
long prayer. You make a long prayer, everyone outside is nervous. Keep it short. So it happens to be, um, so on in the Yom Kippur prayers, in the Muslim, the additional prayers, it actually talks about the exact prayer that the high priest would make. So the prayer, what a main focus of the prayer was rain. Rain was very important. It was farmland. They had to have rain. It was important. Israel um, survives on rain. There's not enough uh, uh, well water and spring water, and they're obviously by the oceans or the, by the Mediterranean, so that water's not going to help. So, um, so he prayed for rain. So I saw just an interesting story, if I have time to get through the story. Um, there, was a, there was a group of farmers, an area where there was just no rain, and they didn't know what to do. So they went to the rabbi, Rabbi, we need you to pray for rain. So the rabbi said, no problem. Everybody come meet me on the hill right in front of the city, and we're going to all pray together, and God will make it rain. Be there tomorrow, 12 o'clock sharp. Ay, the music is playing. But anyways, so they all show up, and the rabbi says, you really believe it's going to rain? Of course, rabbi. So he says, so how come nobody brought raincoats? Okay, the music is playing. I hope you enjoyed it. Short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to all our wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you on the production team. We have David and Cisco in the back. I have my blessings and food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi C. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Toro on NM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.